0: Welcome back to another week of Large Almond Latte. I'm your host, Nicole, which I realize I never say. That's so rude of me to not ever introduce myself. Well, there you have it. There's really actually not much more to me. I'm a pretty basic bitch. But if you have been listening for a while, you will know one thing about me, and that is I am on a mission to get rich. I have become so accustomed to this Lady of Leisure lifestyle I've been living on maternity leave. I need to keep it going. And for a while, I thought my baby was definitely going to be my ticket. Like, she got cast in this TV show. A legit primetime TV show, not like a web series or my Instagram stories. And I was briefly living my best Kris Jenner life, injecting her earnings into my face. Like I'll totally pay her back later, whatever. But then COVID happened and now I'm back to square one. But I have a new idea. Since this season of The Bachelor is absolute rubbish, Keeping Up With The Kardashians has gone into retirement, and no TV network here really wants to invest in quality TV shows, so I feel like there's an opening for me. I've got to come up with my own reality TV show to pick. I actually already have one idea that I'm going to drop in the TV review later, which means you have to listen to the whole episode. I mean, you could fast forward, but please definitely don't do that. But I'm also going to be taking submissions. So if you have a great idea, slide into my DMs and we can definitely split the profits 50 50. Right, moving on, fans, I have one very, very small favor to ask you. If you are on Instagram, make sure you take a screenshot of wherever you're listening and tag me on the gram at Large Almond Latte Media so you can spread the word and do my advertising for me. Please. Finally, I do have my new laptop, but it only has Mac plug holes, of course. So I can't actually plug my microphone in today and I'm using uh, Xbox headphones. So please forgive any audio qualities today. I promise next week we'll be back to normal. All right. Enough of the babble because today we have a huge episode to get through. I know the question in the podcast group was, what is your bullet dodge?" And one of you slid into my DMs with a story the masses absolutely must hear. So we're going to push that to next week so we can bring you that amazing story. Trust me, it is more wild than Tarzan, which reminds me, I should definitely use that as one of my reality TV show pictures. Okay, fans, put your seatbelts on, open your ear holes and get ready for some ultra low involvement entertainment. Today on the podcast, we flip an American eagle-sized bird to some social taboos that we are more done with than this lockdown season. Then, please welcome back Detective Olivia Benson. I will be giving you a golden list of rules to follow if you would like to avoid involvement in a vicious felony. Finally, if you loved Selling Sunset, I reviewed the show that you'll find, yeah, pretty average, Million Dollar Beach House on Netflix. This week, while I was strapped to my couch with my eyes being held open, clockwork orange style, being forced to watch The Bachelor so I could bring you our number one voted Bachelor recaps, yeah, I'm that committed, something tickled my noggin. I was excited... And inspired, So it was obviously not the show itself that caused these rousing emotions. Well, I mean, actually, it kind of was. In a Bachelor story as old as time, literally every single one of the girls continues to be perplexed that Lockie is dating all of them at once. And I got to thinking how it's totally normal for Lockie to have 25 girlfriends as long as it's inside the four walls of the mansion. If he had 25 girlfriends outside the mansion and was spreading his love gem around like COVID, that's still not really something society's down with, like blue tick revoked. And look, obviously the show was not holding my attention. So I started thinking about other social taboos that we still have to deal with. And I got more revved up than your neighbor's 1993 Commodore. So I put it to you in the Facebook group and I spoke with some of my friends on Zoom. Don't worry, I didn't do anything illegal. And we came up with a bunch of social taboos that we would like to throw in the dumpster and then set fire to said dumpster. And oh my God, there were some taboos that were juicier than a two liter just juice. But as a cis, straight, white female, some of them, like Lockie's Imagine Polyamory, I'm just not qualified to talk to. It would feel akin to, like, I don't know, say a celebrity chef giving you medical advice. Yeah, sorry, I can't even go one week without a joke. But stay tuned to the Facebook group because... I've been inspired to get some actual experts qualified to talk about these subjects on the podcast, hopefully, and I'll be asking you to ask them questions in the coming weeks. So without further ado, here are some of the social taboos we are more done with than this lockdown season. And be prepared because some of them might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable women don't masturbate. (laughs) Okay. But I do understand why this is a taboo in a man's world. It's a classic case of men overstating their own abilities. Like, why would a woman need to masturbate? They have us. (laughs) Hey, boys. Well, let me tell you why. In a recent study I just made up, 98% of males could not find the clitoris if Siri gave them directions. But I think I can pinpoint where this taboo comes from. And well, actually, it's a two-pronged pin. One, culture. Every single film or TV show that has a teenage boy in it going through puberty has that stock standard scene where the mum finds the dirty sock in the room. Like It is a prerequisite. But where is the scene where the girl gets her very first rabbit with bunny ears for her sweet 16th? It doesn't happen because of prong two, education. Melbourne sexologist Chantal Otten said on the pod Nasty Woman's Club that we're not taught about sex for pleasure, which is ironic because when you're 16 and banging someone in the bushes behind the train station, you're not trying to make babies hopefully. But she says you're taught about safe sex, how to put on a condom, how to avoid an STI. Yes, we all remember. But she says you're not taught how to enjoy it. It's like you have to work that out yourself. And don't worry, teachers, we have worked it out ourselves. Gold star girls, because whether you started when you were two or 22, we've worked out that we have our own direct line to Pleasureville and rest assured, we are using it. It's amazing how one general area can cause such conflicting feelings because this is the complete opposite of pleasure, periods. Periods are as intrinsic to the female sex as boobs. We can talk about boobs, we can show boobs, we can obsess over boobs, but after 6 million years of human existence, we still can't talk openly about periods. Four out of five women still feel a stigma attached to periods. And honestly, I feel like that just explains so much about society. If you are someone that has never experienced a period, let me break it down for you. We bleed every month, every two months. Sometimes it's once a year. Sometimes it's every two years. But it's a lot and it is so painful. Imagine being kicked in the balls, but like constantly for five days straight. The pain is as strong as say UV rays. It goes from your uterus all the way through to your lower back. And if you have endometriosis, it's even worse. That affects 1 in 10 Australian and New Zealand women. It's like having your insides shredded with hot pokers. So when you say to someone, "Uh, they're in a mood when we're on our periods, yeah, we probably are because we're so angry at how much pain we're in. Aside from the pain, here are some super fun stats that I've taken the liberty of guesstimating. We have to bid farewell to approximately 5.8 pairs of underwear and 2.1 pairs of sheets each year due to rogue blood travel. Depending on our preferences, some of us have to forego sexy times approximately 12.3 times a year. We live in perpetual fear of the white bullet dropping its string out of our bikini bottoms at the beach each summer, and we uncontrollably cry like Kim Kardashian styles at any scene that evokes the slightest emotional twinge real life or fiction. But, and this is where you should turn it up, we go through all of this so we can literally keep humanity in existence. You're welcome. So here are just a few things that we can all do to thank us for our bodily sacrifice each month. Call it a period. I love a nickname. Don't get me wrong. Like calling your period the Crimson Wave or the Red River is like when you take flavored Panadol. You know it's really shit, but the cherry flavor makes it a little bit more palatable. But at the end of the day, I can still call it a period because that's what it is. And if you're someone that can't say period out loud, well, um, hate to say this. No, I don't. You're part of the problem. Stop hiding your products, whatever. Slide a pad across the table, chuck a tamps across the road to your desk, buddy. At the very least, people will know to stay the fuck away from you for the next few days. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I should do this much more often even when I'm not on my period. But it's also a really small, easy step you can take to breaking down the stigma and taboo around periods. Women must have babies. Obviously, that's why we get our periods. Ugh! Thanks for this one, Fan Jess. Until divine intervention strikes again, or for the first time, depending on what you believe, and like Mary herself, women are magically impregnated without the aid of man swimmers. I'm fairly sure women have control over their bodies and get to choose. And just like I don't want a cat. Some women don't want a child and it's really that simple. But you don't ask me at my family gathering when I'm getting my new short haired tabby. So stop asking women between the ages of 20 and 40 when they'll be having children. And no, you cannot replace the question with tick, tick, that biological clock. That's even worse. But look, I know it is a conditioned conversational go-to. It's like talking about the weather. You just don't even think about it. And I was as guilty as OJ of doing this until I was on the receiving end and it got real old real quick. And when you have a baby, it still doesn't stop them. It just becomes, so when are you having the next one? But I got a really hot tip from one of my friends who said, whenever she gets asked, when are you getting married or when are you having a baby? She just blankly asks right back, when are you getting a tattoo on your face? Because to her, that's an equally as ridiculous question. And I've taken it for a test drive and I can confirm it works. Now, not only do some women choose to enjoy their lives without the burden of crotch fruit, some women can't have children, or may have recently lost a child during pregnancy. So I really hate to be the PC police, but your question can be literally more painful than being stabbed. One in five pregnancies in Australia and New Zealand end in a miscarriage, which is a whole other social taboo on its own. So please, mind your P's and Q's and go back to talking about how nice the sunshine is today. Your baby must have the dad's last name. This is a super personal choice and completely up to the individuals. But the key being that it's a choice and not a default setting. I'm not married. And thankfully, I think we're done with the taboo of having children out of wedlock. But when I told like 99.85% of people that my baby had my last name, they were so shocked, like even the most progressive of my friends. And look, Okay, if my partner had a famous last name like Roosevelt, Rockefeller, or Judd, I wouldn't even think twice. I would give up any moral argument I had. But since he's just a regular proletariat, I'm definitely going to state my case. That baby lived in my body for nine months, rent-free, and absolutely destroyed the place. While she was in there, I couldn't drink alcohol, eat cheese, sushi, cold meats, or poached eggs. I was sick all the time, sneezing was one of the biggest risks I could take in my life, and when I finally did evict her, it was agony. In comparison, my boyfriend, well, um, he got to have a lot of sex to get pregnant, so you tell me, who deserves to have their last name passed on? It's me. The answer is me. You must love your job. Thank you for this one, Fan Paulina. The pressure to love your job is literally the main cause of the quarter-life crisis. You watch movies like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and assume you'll be a high-flying writer for Cosmo or an ad exec with a totally tolerant, non-toxic workplace, and you'll be living in your own apartment by age 23, and then you get on the socials and everyone's putting their best life forward, and that just totally reinforces that feeling. In reality, you've chosen a career path at 17 despite knowing absolutely zero About the industry in practice, you go into a job with no life experience, put up with harassment, 18 hour days, and less money than when you were 15 working at McDonald's. It is strong cause for a breakdown. I also spoke about this in the very first episode, which if you haven't listened to, I think you should go back. It's still one of my favorites the third life crisis. Because by the time you reach 30, You don't really care. You realize that people that have been working in their job for years aren't necessarily good at their jobs. It's impossible to find a mentor. The wage gap is real. Workplace politics have more power than Trump and your priorities shift and you realize that that unlimited potential to grow and develop and achieve you thought you once had, it's kind of capped by other people and you're you just don't care. You work to live, you don't live to work. Your job is just a golden pair of handcuffs. The good news is you will change careers five to seven times in your life. So hopefully you enjoy at least one of those jobs. Pregnancy taboos. Okay, there are more pregnancy taboos than there are Kardashian-Jenner's because so many people give birth. So you either have or you know someone who has, which means everyone has an opinion. But I feel like pregnancy taboos in general is an episode for another day that I'll probably never do because when you don't have children and people talk about pregnancy and babies, it is so boring. In the show notes, you'll find two pregnancy stigmas, but I'm going to be kind to the non-baby listeners and only go through one of them now. The stigma around C-sections. When my friend was going in for her C-section, the nurse worded her up before the surgery. And she says, just remember that whatever happens in the next few days while you're recovering here, you've made the best decision for you and your baby. This was in a Melbourne private hospital where cesareans are above the national average of one in three. So she was like, okay, that's super weird, but whatever. And then she realized why she said it. While she was in recovery, all of the nurses constantly were shaming her for her choice. Like, Why are you a midwife? I know we just spoke about not liking your job, but this seems particularly counterintuitive. It would be the same as being a cosmetic nurse but being staunchly against plastic surgery, which just makes no sense. Some women don't want to go through labour, and I can confirm it is definitely best avoided. But again, How you give birth is totally up to you, whether you want to do it naturally, with drugs, with cesarean, as long as it's safe, it's your choice, it's your body. So what I cannot understand is the hero complex of insisting on birthing naturally against doctor's advice, whether it's insisting you yourself give birth naturally or more commonly shaming other women for making that choice and the most common argument Women have been doing this for thousands of years. Yeah, well... Thousands of years ago, it was 15-year-olds giving birth in a paddock and a lot of them were dying in labor. If not, they were probably only living to 34. So, you know, times change. Sometimes a woman might have a 12-pound baby inside her breech and she's not real keen on tearing from her vag to her bumhole. And sometimes, for a million other medical reasons that I don't necessarily know because I'm not a doctor, but they are, they advise it's just the safest thing to do is to do a cesarean. And then people always love to say, "Mm, okay, it's your choice, but make sure you do your research. What research could I possibly do on Google that's better than the knowledge of an obstetrician that studied for 10 years and delivers babies every single day? But this is such an Australian taboo. In Brazil, they have the highest rates of C-sections in the world, and a cesarean is literally a party. Party planners, hair and makeup artists, caterers are all involved in this Wedding-like spectacle. The mother gets fully decked up, hair, makeup, nails. Bear in mind in Australia, you're like not allowed any makeup when you get a Caesar. So she's all done up, and then the whole family is watching the Caesarean from behind this glass window with their cameras out. Like in Sao Paulo, there's this hospital that actually has a ballroom and a wine cellar. Like, I don't think the mum would necessarily be attending the post-birth celebrations, but the family does. So I don't know, it feels like a lot for me. I barely wanted my boyfriend at the birth, so I don't know how I'd go with 30 of my closest friends and family, but I love so much that they celebrate this. And I feel like I need to spread this information to all of my girlfriends that have had caesareans because every single one of them have been touched by the negative stigma. And this just shows that it's so native and there's nothing to be ashamed of. C-sections are actually a party. So we're going to end on a super light one from Fanmark adults shouldn't play video games. Well, no, Mark, they shouldn't. They should be helping to raise their child. Side note, he's also my boyfriend. But okay, I'll humor you because everyone is entitled to their own opinion. He said when we were younger, we read children's books like Goosebumps. And when we got older, we didn't stop reading. We just started reading adult books like Stephanie Meyer. Yeah, that was the first author that came to my head. Wow. But he said that's like the same as video games. We used to play Nintendo and now we play adult games like COD or FIFA. And well, Mark, I used to play with Barbies and now that I'm older, I play with, I'm going to make your point by saying adult toys. So I get you, point taken. I would have been much harsher on this, but I have mentioned video games before in our escapisms episode. And it does turn out that when video games are consumed in moderation, it actually is a really therapeutical way to escape reality. And that's why... Video games where you're in a completely different world, like Second Life, are so popular. So, Mark, I will begrudgingly accept working towards elimination of this taboo. So, fans, I hope that you're inspired to leave a bag of burning dog poop on the porch of social taboos. If you want to chat more about any of them or suggest some that we should get an expert in to talk about, feel free to slide on into my DMs at La and Latte Media on the gram. If you're a basic white bitch like me, you probably froth true crime. Like, the host of Casefile once sent me my own personalized episode. Creepy or best birthday present ever? It was the latter. Signs of a legit true crime junkie are, if you were on the case, you'd 100% know that a person who dies in a fire with carbon monoxide in their lungs was alive when the fire was lit. Or if a crime scene smells like bleach, sprinkle a bit of luminol on that bad boy and you'll see the blood splatter. But what if you were involved in a crime yourself? I'm obviously not gonna tell you how to get away with murder because there's a TV show for that. But what if you go missing or what if you were falsely convicted of a crime? Well, for the second week in a row, you can call me Detective Olivia Benson because I am going to share with you some golden rules to follow. There is strong input from my favorite true crime podcast, Crime Junkie, Their Life Rules, just so you know, credit where credit's due. But you will need to follow these golden rules in order to eliminate your involvement in a vicious felony. Number one, you never really know anyone. Ever. I bet you look at serial killers like the Golden State Killer or Ted Bundy and go, how did the wife not know? Or even serial cheaters, like when you hear stories of people who have been basically living a double life for the past 25 years. How did their partners not know? But how many times have you found out facts about your friends that have totally surprised you? Even something as small as they don't like chocolate or dogs, which, side note, are both sure signs of a psychopath. Or more recently, how many friends have you had to block that you would never have dreamed of doing in a thousand years because they have recently graduated from the Facebook University School of Law? The point is, you don't trust anyone except your dog. Always trust your dog. If a dog doesn't like a human, you must remove that human from your life immediately. Like my girlfriend, her dog didn't like 99% of her boyfriends. And what do you know? They all turned out to be heavy bags of shit. So don't trust anyone except yourself and your dog. Number two, never ever tease a secret. If you have a secret, you must tell someone immediately or you will be murdered. Never ever tell a friend, I need to talk to you about something, then leave it overnight because you will be murdered. Never ever say to your friends, oh, I think someone's been following me. And then don't go into detail or better yet, don't go to the police because you will be murdered. If you hint at something like this, you'll be murdered, and your teaser will just be a dead end to solving the crime. Crime Junkie used this really great example of Swedish backpacker Karina Holmer. She wrote a letter home to her friend in Sweden telling her that she had secrets And oh my God, why would you do that? Because you know it's going to be like at least three months before the next letter comes explaining the secrets. And yeah, what do you know? Wound up dead in a dumpster and 24 years later, the mystery is still unsolved. So if you just spill your secret immediately, it could save your life. Number three, and this is actually the most important. It should be number one. But before I go on, please make sure your significant other is not around. Because if you go missing, they are like 97% likely to be the reason why you are missing. Okay, got rid of them? Right. Number three is the if I go missing folder. So you'd know that if someone isn't found in the first 48 hours, their chances of being completely fucked increase significantly. But you'd also know that it can take police ages to not only take on your case, like seriously, how many times have you heard the line that they can't do anything until the person's been missing for 48 hours? It's a total lie, by the way, but they use it. But if they do take your case, it can take them forever to get warrants to access your bank records, your emails, basically any personal information that could lead to a case-solving hint. The If I Go Missing folder contains all of this information in one place so that it can be served up on a nice platter to the police. Or if the police don't take your case, hopefully you have some really nice friends who watch a lot of SVU, and that will lead to you being found in the boot of the car before your kidnappers have even hit the freeway. Most importantly, you get to choose your own missing person's photo. Yay! But obviously, don't use photo of you dressed up for the clubs on a Saturday night because you definitely won't be looking like that when you're pulled out of the boot. In the show notes at com, I've included crime junkies very extensive if I go missing template or you could just create your own and I've also included a bunch of things to include. Just do it. Like I don't care what template you use, you just have to do it. Number 4, Turn on your location services. But what about my data? What about my privacy? Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, meh, 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 I live in 2020 and I understand the purpose of data sharing and I'm okay with it at the best of times. But if Google having my data saves me from a sex dungeon or proves I didn't commit a triple homicide, I will pay you to take it. If you've listened to The Lighthouse, which is the podcast following the disappearance of missing Belgian backpacker Theo Hayes in Byron Bay, you'll know that they were able to track his last known locations because his sister gave the police access to his Google account where his location services were switched on. Again, in the show notes, I've outlined the steps for both Apple and Android to switch those on. And it goes without saying that this is why you should always have Find My iPhone activated. Number five, this is a good one if a hotel looks shady, it probably is. Did the hotel in Psycho look accommodating? No, it looked like a murder hotel. What about the one in The Shining? Murder hotel. Yes, if it looks like a murder hotel, it probably is. Don't stay there. But look, they were both fiction, so why don't I tell you about a real murder hotel? There's this hotel in Hollywood called Cecil Hotel, and it is known for being dodgier than a cruise ship buffet. Since it was built in 1924, there have been 16 deaths there. I don't know why I emphasize that, because honestly, in nearly 100 years, I don't know if that is a high number or not. But anyway, the Black Dahlia, who was infamously murdered in 1947, was spotted having a beverage there days before her death. Richard Ramirez, who is the Night Stalker, he killed 13 people. He just casually lived there during his spree, In the penthouse, no less. Then in 1991, an Austrian copycat killer stayed there while he killed three prostitutes. And then he hung himself there too. Lovely. So this place should absolutely be avoided at all costs. But in 2003, 21 year old Elisa Lamb decided she wanted to stay there while she was traveling. Why? I have absolutely no idea. While she's traveling, she talks to her parents every day, and then she stops making contact. So her parents report her missing, and five days later, guests start complaining about the water quality. So the maintenance workers go up to the roof and find her naked body in the water tank. As if that isn't disturbing enough, then police release this totally creepy footage of Elisa getting into the hotel lift. In the footage, you can see her re-entering and exiting the elevator several times, talking and gesturing out into the hallway as if someone's there. And then she's like hiding in the elevator too and pressing the buttons, which seem to be not working. It goes for like three and a half minutes. Again, it's in the show notes. You have to watch it. It's so creepy. There are no answers to what this footage means. Obviously, there are a million explanations from paranormal activity to her bipolar to the video being totally doctored. But suffice to say, if a hotel looks shady, it probably is and keep driving. This one's a pretty obvious one, I'd hope. Number six, never get into a white van. I know, look, lollies are delicious. It's very tempting, but no amount of lollies is worth being kept as a sex slave for 15 years. Number seven, If you get pulled over by an unmarked police car, it's totally okay to call the police and verify that they are actually police. I kind of want to add to this, but I feel very unfeminist saying it. Don't drive alone and keep your taser on you at all times. Because I can just imagine that if I did this and I caught my kidnapper in the act, he would stress and he would overpower me and I'd probably end up kidnapped anyway. Number eight, always keep your thumb near the record button. Get those receipts. If you're out and about, if you're at home, wherever you are, if you feel the hairs on the back of your neck start to prick up, start recording. This is legitimately one very, very good reason to have your phone on you at all times. That completely trumps any reason not to. In 2017, two teenage girls in Indiana, Abigail Williams and Liberty, Germany, were murdered in this totally open, isolated giant park. And one of the girls had their Snapchat going and got a shot of who is most likely the killer. She also got some footage and the police have released just a tiny bit of it. And it is so creepy. It's just footage of this man saying down the hill, down the hill. And once you watch it, you just keep playing it on repeat. So the police were able to take that footage and then release it to the public to see if anyone recognized their voice. Unfortunately, their murders haven't been solved, but it's definitely a really handy tool that could 100% save your life. Okay. But what if you're not the victim? What if you are falsely accused of a crime? What do you do then? Besides cry, obviously, because that is my worst fear. Number nine. Never talk without a lawyer. And look, I don't know how exactly you do this because I definitely don't have a lawyer on speed dial, but according to TV shows, you just ask the police for one, I guess. You just have to do it. And sure, you might look a little bit guilty for not talking at first without a lawyer, but if Underbelly has taught me anything, it's that the police are dodgy. So lawyer up. Number 10, never take a polygraph test because an innocent person can fail a polygraph test. According to a report by the National Academy of Sciences in America, there are a variety of mental and physical factors such as anxiety that can affect polygraph tests, making the technique susceptible to error. I'm sorry, is there anyone that could pass a polygraph test then? Who wouldn't have sky-high anxiety from sitting in a concrete interview room for 24 hours, being interrogated for a crime that you didn't commit, facing the prospect of life in jail and never having McDonald's again? I would legitimately break down so hard, I can't even explain. So the Shiner Law School says, though, that once you've failed a polygraph test, it's really hard to convince the lawmakers that you are actually innocent, which is so weird because they would deal with these all the time and know how inaccurate they can be. But that's what they say. But then on the flip side, if you do pass, they're usually inadmissible in court. So basically, if you fail, any government decision makers like police or the prosecutors are going to think you're guilty. But if you pass, the jury won't know about it anyway. So don't do it. There you have it. Golden rules to live by. Bookmark it, copy and paste it, burn it to your memory. If you loved selling Sunset, you're going to find Million Dollar Beach House, meh, Very average. The houses are luxe, of course, but honestly, they bang on about the Hamptons being the most exclusive place in the world. And yes, Obviously, while I'm sure the white party in season two of Gossip Girl was the best white party that has ever been in the history of white parties, I feel like in general, the houses, the food, the beaches, which side note, look like Brighton Beach. It's nothing, it's nothing special. I think we can do better. Like, obviously, these real estate agents have never been to the south of France or the Bahamas. They've definitely never been to Australia's most exclusive suburbs like Portsea or Lawn or Fun fact, the most expensive place to live in Australia, Byron Bay, which reminds me, Hey Siri, remind me to pitch this as a reality show, Selling Byron Bay, a group of influencers slash anti-vaxxers selling $18 million properties to Chris Hemsworth's friends back to Million Dollar Beach House. The cast, yeah, no, they don't look like the gals from Selling Sunset, but who does? But you also don't really get to know the cast like you do on Selling Sunset, which makes it all a bit vapid. We all know when it comes to reality TV, drama is king and the setting is just a visually appealing backdrop. But Million Dollar Beach House just doesn't bring the goods on the drama front. Like, honestly, I'm actually equally as or even more invested in a wholesome storyline. But Million Dollar Beach House kind of brings neither. There's two friends from high school, and cool, and, well, one of them's going to be a dad, and so he has to shape up and make some money, and they literally repeat that every episode. That's his whole storyline. And, dude, you're making 150K commissions each sale. I think you'll be fine. The only real drama is between this arrogant knob, Noel, or Noel. He plays table tennis and his name is Noel. I think that tells you everything you need to know. And this girl, Peggy. And you know how there's that thing where men aren't afraid to apply for jobs that they're not qualified for or ask for a pay rise, but women are much more reserved when it comes to pumping up their own tires professionally? I'm not being sexist. It's definitely a thing. Well, this is a case study on that. Noel lists this house at $35 million, which... It's the equivalent of charging $100 for a Big Mac. Like, it's a nice burger, but a laughable price, and you are not paying that no matter how drunk you are at 3am in the drive-thru. So Noel doesn't want Peggy to bring buyers through this house because he thinks she's really unprofessional and not very good at her job. But Peggy's actually the only one with a potential buyer. So begrudgingly, Noel lets her come and he is a joke at the showing. He keeps his sunglasses on inside and he doesn't even know where the phone charges are in the house. Honestly, one bonus of this show is you will cringe so much at Noel, you'll probably end up with a six pack. Anyway, it's definitely no Selling Sunset, but it is very okay background viewing. Six out of ten. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you dropped us a five-star rating and a review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media. Join our Facebook group, Large Almond Latte, to join the conversation and check out our website, largealmondlatte.com, for hours upon hours of low-involvement entertainment.